Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Pod Network Entertainment. It's a shared struggle. Maybe a shared trauma after all, but uh, uh, that is key. And uh, besides that, uh, knowing uh, how to struggle, it's also just seeing where you're going. So having that clear vision or where you, of where you're headed is very important because at least you know that even if it's slowly moving, it's moving. So having that uh, little milestones along with the support system is very important. And of course, uh, the third key criteria here, or at least the third factor that allows us to uh, move forward from the struggles is just being able to share this struggle with fellow founders. And good evening, good afternoon, good morning to wherever you're watching my podcast from here in the Philippines and from all over the world. Welcome to my podcast, the RJ Ledesma Podcast. I'm so glad to finally be back here on the podcast. Now, here on the podcast, I like to interview the, con- the country's trailblazing and pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about doing business, what are their success secrets, and can we replicate those success secrets? At the same time, are they willing to share those success secrets with us? How have these business personalities innovated, pivoted, evolved their businesses during the pandemic, but more importantly, what business opportunities do they see emerging in the new, new normal, and will they share these business opportunities together with us? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here in the program? Please let me know. I would love, love to learn from them. All you have to do is just drop me a message. I would also like to learn from them as well. We're also live right now on YouTube and on Kumu. Now, tonight is going to be a very interesting show. And I really want to bring this guest on the show because recently I had a chance to host Ignite 2023. And in Ignite 2023, they had uh, the Startup World Cup regional competition for the Philippines where nine really fantastic uh, startups pitched uh, their startup. And out of the nine... They're all very, very good. The winner was Sol X Technologies. So Sol X Technologies has won the opportunity to represent the Philippines at the 2023 Startup World Cup Grand Finale in Silicon Valley in the States and a chance to win a $1 million, that's right, $1 million grand prize. Of course, they also won uh, some money as well from the startup competition here in the Philippines. We'll find out more about that one. Uh, from the founder who will be speaking with us in just a few minutes. At the same time, if you're wondering what SolX does, uh, briefly what SolX does, just high level, uh, is that SolX is a platform that helps local companies in identifying ideal power contracts and retail electricity suppliers, leading to cost-effective decisions on their energy consumption. I know that's a lot to take in, and I'm so glad that I have the founder over here to explain the concept and, and make it more understandable to the layman. But just to let you know that this company has been very effective. It's already saved uh, their big ticket clients close to 400 million pesos in energy costs to their systems as of date. But more importantly, their technology is 100% Filipino made and their team is all based here and they all hail from the Philippines. So tonight, it's my pleasure to welcome the winner of the regional startup competition here in the Philippines. Uh, Let's welcome Sergio Santos the CEO of SolX. Serge, welcome to the show. Hi, RJ. Good evening. And good evening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And sure, you know, I, I've been wanting to invite you for quite some time because you did such a fantastic job uh, in, in the regional World Cup uh, pitch here that was held in, in Fairmont. Now, before everything else, congratulations. Uh, what prize did you win from, from the regional competition? Uh, the main prize is uh, more on the chance to pitch in the startup world cup finals in silicon valley so it's actually 
in itself is very big, uh, regardless of the cash, particularly because uh, Pegasus Tech Ventures, who will actually be hosting the Startup World Cup, or who have been hosting the Startup World Cup, is one of the investors of SpaceX, Twitters, and they handle one of the biggest funds in Silicon Valley, around close to $3 billion. So just being able to have that affiliation, hopefully when we pitch in uh, San Francisco, we can develop deeper connections with them or other uh, uh, big players in the industry. And also the special awards, of course, like the E27, and then the other awards have their own uh, corresponding uh uh, you know, for E27, we will have the, basically the subscription for that. And then, uh, I think it's an all expense trip to Silicon Valley for Kate, uh, courtesy of, uh, Ignite team. Yeah. Fantastic. Were there any monetary prizes as well? Did you win any, any financial? No, 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 no. Yeah. I think the financial will be on the grand finals, if ever. Yeah. For the grand finals, but really fantastic job. Now, like I said, I had a chance to host it. I got to see all of you over there. Um, and it was incredible because I, I have to say you're up against some really tough competition, right? Yeah, I agree, yeah. And and the thing about the Philippine leg finals, it's not limited to Philippine startups. It's actually just hosted in different countries, and any startups from anywhere around the world can participate. And one of the companies I think was from uh, a few were from U.S. hailed companies, so it was very tough. But at the same time, I'm glad to be uh, at least to be very fortunate to represent the Philippines since it's a Philippine leg finals that we took home the prize in our home country. Yeah. And, and before everything else. Um, can I just ask you, since you're here, already, you, it was like you were the first among equals because I think they were all good. But were there other companies there that other startups which impressed you as well? When they yeah. Were, while they were, can uh, you share? Uh, for example, uh, the 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 Wika, uh, I think the Wika gave a very heartfelt presentation. Uh, they're supposedly doing content management system for uh, uh, accessibility for deaf people uh, because that's something that is taken for granted. Although it's a very niche uh, market, uh, it allows you know certain uh, segment of the least the population to be really heard. So they're doing a lot of content management and they're doing VR. So in terms of the actual uh, fundamental uh, impact, it's really up there, maybe better than us. I guess it's really more on the scalability. That's where uh, uh, the judges uh, scored. And then there's also an AI company there, Snarly, uh, Charlie or Snarly, which uh, it's like uh, wrapping the GPT technology for their own use. So yeah, uh, it's a ba- basically generative AI technology, but all the rest are equally fantastic. Yeah, that's why I was so impressed that you guys, I mean, not to say that you, you deserve to, but I mean, you just just to show you the caliber uh, mm-hmm. of the competition you're up against, it's not that some. It's something that you all admire at the same time. You, yeah. you're, I'm seeing yours. You go, wow! Did you see the next one? You go, wow! So it's, it was really just a matter of, I guess, what the criteria was for for what they wanted to help uh, grow the company. Agree, now, yeah, I agree. And, and having seen that you guys won, no, um, there are also people who like listening to the program to pick up some tips, especially some startup companies who are doing pitching. Now, over the years, and especially for this particular cup, and you, you guys won. Is there anything also that you want to share when people want to pitch their concepts uh, to VCs, to venture capitalists, to big investors, or even during competition? What do you think you were able to do or establish a bit differently or that you've been practicing a lot that, that has worked for you, especially during the pitches that you can share? Uh, with the other potential startups who are also listening uh, and hoping to make that. Yeah, actually, this is like our third pitch. and uh, uh, But uh, I think one of the things that uh, we, we, at least personally, I took note of, very important to know your audience. Uh, there are a lot of pitching styles that you can do. There can be the heartfelt style. There can be a very narrative story. It, it can also be very informative. So know your audience. So... Uh, I'm not sure if what I did was correct, but uh, I, I researched the uh, judges and they're basically VCs and uh, institutional VCs from here and abroad. So one of the things they're really looking at is a combination of impact, scalability, and team. So it's very important to be able to be as informative as possible within those five minutes and to be able to have some uh, ready uh, answers whenever they have some follow-up. So what I did practice was really... Uh, very an informative setting, compressing it into five minutes, especially difficult for us because uh, later you'd know that it's a very contextualized startup. So it's not something mm-hmm. that you can uh, do a pitch for like one minute or two minutes and people would instantly underst- 
stand. So it takes some getting to know, especially if you're outside the industry. So yeah, number one is to know your audience. And second is, uh, I think, uh, although uh, some people would not prefer this, I think it's very important to memorize your pitch. Uh, memorize in a sense that you don't know it word per word, but you actually know the full outline of your pitch so that you can compress it into the actual uh, time limit. Uh, because a lot of uh, companies, they tend to think that, oh, I can do this in three minutes. I, I can uh, go over the time. It doesn't matter. But when you're there and you actually did not practice enough and then it's already almost the time and then you have a lot of catching up to do, you'll tend to really compress everything in a few seconds with no value at all. So very important to practice, memorize, but at the end of the day, don't memorize it word per word, but have a very clear, detailed outline of where you are, how many uh, minutes you're going to put on and this segment and this segment. So very uh, technical, I would say, in terms of the actual criteria. And then the third will be uh, having that combination of focusing on what I said earlier. Number one, impact. How, how big your impact is as a company, because there are a lot of companies that can be benchmarked, but what about the actual potential impact of the company? I really believe that our company has the biggest uh, potential impact out of all the startups that have pitched because we're particularly dealing with uh, energy prices in the Philippines. And second is... Uh, how do you build that scalability? How do you show the, the audience that you have that scalability in terms of the actual tech? Because uh, there's a lot of manual processes involved in uh, certain startups as well, especially when they're starting. So how do you show that narrative that everything can be scaled because of your tech? And third is, of course, your team. So the team angle that we put in is really more focusing on the Filipinos because uh, mm -hmm. Basically, Filipinos for the Philippines because there's a lot of startups in the Philippines that have been successful, but they're actually hailing from different countries abroad. They're actually right. abroad and uh, they have a lot of experiences applying best practices. But at the end of the day, uh, who knows better about our context but us? So having that, uh, at least having this kind of... Uh, you know, advantage is very, it's very important for us, for us to tell that story, having one of the few who are actually 100% Filipinos and everything is developed in-house, no outsourced technology whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and that says a lot about the group. And I like that, you know, it's really a context, like you said, it's a contextualized uh, solution to a pain, particularly here in the Philippines. And having said that, let's now get into what SolX is all about. I, you know, when, when I read it earlier on, uh, and explain to people, it's still not going to sink in. Like you said, it took you, it takes you more than two minutes to explain it. But if you were to give, and you've given elevator pitches. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so people can, can just get a feel of what a, a, an elevator pitch means when you, it's like a 30 second pitch that you have to give more or less. Uh, to the big executive, what is that elevator pitch that you had for Sol X? No, this disclaimer, I'm not really good at elevator pitch, but I would try. <laughs> yeah, so uh, basically, Sol X Technologies uh, enables businesses to save on energy costs by enabling uh, sustainability and energy efficiency uh, through our demand digital demand supply matching platform, uh, allowing you to connect best with a right fit energy supplier and also to save further on energy costs by optimizing on how you use power. So yeah. A lot of digest, but thanks for thanks. I mean, it, it kind of blows the mind. But I mean, if we were to pick up basic things, basically, is that you've developed an app to help lower power costs for big companies, right? right? Mm -hmm. that, that's basically it. by being able to source correctly from whatever electricity supplier that he might need at that particular time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. So maybe to, to maybe going back a little in terms of context. Uh, I think everyone, households especially, knows that they can only source power from Meralco if you're living in Metro Manila or in Laguna or the franchise area of Meralco, basically. That's your only provider. Uh, but uh, actually what really happens is this distribution utilities cooperatives actually just buy power in bulk from the different power plants. So effectively, they buy power from power plant A, B, C, they consolidate it and they sell it to the customers at a fixed rate. So that was basically the status quo of the market for years. Recently, they deregulated the energy market 
effectively allowing you to purchase directly from energy suppliers. However, this regulation is limited to B2B customers. Basically, if you're consuming uh, around 100,000 pesos per month in terms of your energy billing, then you can avail of this regulation. That's why a lot of household level are not really aware of this regulation because it's being benchmarked in the uh, B2B sector currently. So basically what we do as a company, imagine you have four to seven different options. How do you know that switching from one provider to another provider can actually lead to better costs? How do you know that switching from Meralco to another provider will not uh, actually affect you uh, negatively? So this is where we come in. So effectively, a power plant, it produces energy at a certain time. For example, if it's a solar power plant and it's like eight to five, right? Or during the solar hours. And energy... Once you actually produce it, someone has to offtake it unless you have a battery storage. But battery storage facilities in the Philippines are not scaled, actually even abroad. So effectively, if you have an 8 to 5, you actually must offtake it or must uh, basically put that power to a user who consumes energy from 8 to 5, exactly at that level of capacity. And also preferably... Um, so for people who are not so aware of the power sector... Solar power, you have to consume the solar power when it's generated. Correct. Okay, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And what we do is if we have different types of power plants in the Philippines, we try to connect uh, the fittest uh, energy supplier for you and the fittest energy consumer for you. If a consumer's uh, if a consumer produces uh, consumes energy from eight to five, it's better to connect them to a supplier that produces eight to five. If you have, for example, a supplier that produces twenty four seven, but you're a school, you don't have leverage in actually changing your operations. We can aggregate you to another customers that actually have another uh, uh, consumption that is basically the non-school hours so that effectively it's a 24-hour cycle. So we really try to close the loop in terms of demand-supply matching because one of the reasons why cost of power in the Philippines is high is because of that supply and demand mismatch, primarily driven by lack of data access and a lack of digitalization in the energy sector besides a lack of transparency. Yeah. Got it. So basically, uh, the biggest pain point here is that, well, th- in terms of this power consumption, <laughs> sorry, consumption rather is that we just don't know how much power is being. We're just taking it lock, stock, and barrel. Correct, because that's correct. All we know, right? Mm-hmm. But technically, if you if you parse it up, mm-hmm. you can get best bang for your buck, your best value for money if you correct. get the right supplier producing at the right time for your particular business. Correct. And uh, one of the things that we're also that's correct, RJ. One of the other layer that we're doing is for the longest time we see the customers as a problem. It's basically a variable that doesn't change because. Uh, Customers, they don't know how to change their operations. So for example, even if you change how you uh, uh, consume energy when, when you turn off your air conditions, nothing's going to happen with your energy bill. But because of the uh, democratizing access to energy in terms of understanding and in terms of data, customers now, at least those uh, with us, are now part of the solutions. So even if even them, they can actually augment their operations, put it in a particular hours just to save on power, just to have that kind of contracts that have certain incentives and penalties. So this, in a way, allows the energy market to have both flows coming from the supply uh, helping uh, the demand close the loop and the demand actually helping the supply. So effectively, hopefully merging them together to create uh, uh, a really balanced demand and supply in the Philippines. Yeah. So what that just means is that the more companies that subscribe to Solex Technologies, the better it will be for both the power companies and for the businesses because there's more data that's there. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to aggregate or consolidate power correctly. Right. Is, that, is that a correct understanding? Yeah, exactly, RJ. That's our goal, uh, really to have volume because uh, if you don't have volume, it's harder to balance, really. And if you don't have data accessibility, there's no uh, really there's not enough flexibility in order to balance supply and demand. But yeah, that's great. That's the big goal of the company, to generate value from both uh, supply chain and eventually to uh, ramp up our volume to create, uh, or at least to exponentially grow the value that we provide. Yeah. Okay, now, I, I like how we actually tried to lemonize the concept a bit more, try to make it simpler. Is there a way to even make it more uh, explainable or understandable to the regular... <laughs> Pinoy out there. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, at least the goal of the company eventually, if it goes down to the household level, the Filipinos don't really have to actually think about uh, how to properly balance their consumption. We handle the headache 
of uh, the energy so that you can focus on your business and your personal matters and your work. So eventually there can be an app that allows you to be connected to different customers so that you can be connected to a right to a right of supplier or to be or to a multiple supplier option. But that's our goal. But in terms of your question of uh, maybe laymanizing it further, I would say uh, 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 we have a hardware and a software. The hardware allows us to uh, collect data granularly every thirty seconds, and that allows us to actually. Uh, properly analyze the different consumption patterns of different customers so that we can connect them to the right uh, suppliers. So effectively, as a supplier, you have your own power plants. And a power plant have their own production schedule when they produce energy. And they also have their own location where they are located. In order to save power, two of the most uh, basic uh, value proposition would be get a power closest to your location so that you don't have to pay online rental fees or the distance between the power plants to your actual facility. And second is the matching that I mentioned earlier. If you have a supplier that supplies energy 24-7, it's best to connect this to a customer that consumes power 24-7 or to a group of customers that consumes power 24-7. So effectively affecting both location and uh, consumption metric. Yeah. Sorry, RJ. I I get that. But so eventually, just to make it even maybe more understandable, the ultimate objective of this app, which is right now B2B business to business, is that if it goes business to consumer, it's all about the app. Just automatically, your power will just switch to the best power source that is lowest in cost for you. That's going to happen. And even giving you insights on how you can further save on cost by uh, maybe changing some of your operations and identifying certain uh, high deviations or high discrepancies in your consumption patterns. So the goal is the, of the app is not for the user to understand it per se, but to really focus on action points where they can save on the bottom line. Got that, got that. Now, um, one, one of the things which we didn't get, I didn't get to say earlier on because I was too excited to ask you about the competition was that your app is very practical uh, it's something not practical, but rather it's something that is what even the government perceives as revolutionary, that you even receive money from a government-owned and controlled corporation after uh, the competition. Tell me a bit more about that one. Yeah, uh, that's actually really great news for us in the startup community. So uh, the National Development Company, actually, they have a fund called the Startup Venture Fund. Uh, I'm sure most of the startup entrepreneurs who might be watching knows about this. It's an SVF fund. Actually, under the Startup Innovation Act, the government will put or allocate money uh, for startups, basically uh, roughly around uh, 500 million or to 1 billion pesos. Uh, but that was uh, since 2019, I believe. But there was no deployment of fund except uh, the deployment with us. So this is the first time in four years since the fund was created. So this will actually create, uh, hopefully, a ripple effect for other startups to have more to to be granted opportunities to actually you know get funding from the government and to the government to actually funnel that money to infuse economic uh you know economic infusion through these startups because they have the fund anyway so uh one of the key criteria there that's why we are able to get it is so uh for other uh interested uh startups maybe is before they give a fund you have to have been funded or should be funded by a, by an accredited partner. So they have a few accredited investor companies in the Philippines. So effectively, it's a co-investment. So they have uh, the Foxmont Capital, which is our first investor. Uh, uh, they have Idea Space. They have Core Capital or the Gobi Ventures. And the fourth one was another Japanese company. So that's Real Tech Holdings. So Real Tech Holdings is Basically, this is their first investment in the Philippines as well. So actually, they're a co-investment partner of NDC. So we are uh, a product of pilot investment from both companies. So yeah, we're very happy and excited. The government will allow, the government uh, investment will allow us to have more credibility locally. And then the international investment from a Japanese uh, corporation will allow us to have better footing whenever we decide to expand in different countries. Yeah. Oh, bravo, bravo to you guys. Now, having having got to that whole spiel, no, I think it's very important right now we, we get back again to the idea of you know how we help our entrepreneurs think of uh, what pain point were you originally trying to solve uh, when you created Solex. 
And I guess it's more informative for the people listening to us here right now to understand what is your background and how did you come across this problem? Because it's not, I mean, it's something that, you know, pain points are usually things that people see but aren't able to solve or it's always been there. People just ignore it because they're just so used to the problem. So what was your background that, that led you to coming across this pain point? Yeah, thank you, RJ. So uh, by education, I, I'm a graduate of electronics and communications engineering in Ateneo. And then I took my master's in Japan, uh, systems engineering. And then I had a few study abroad in HKUST and in Taiwan as well. So, but basically by profession or at least by background, I'm really an engineer. And I also taught briefly statistics in UP Dilemat. Uh, however, how, how I encountered this problem was way back when I was in college, 2015. So, uh, as a matter of fact, energy is a very nuanced industry, esoteric, meaning it's very hard to understand even if you search thoroughly in the internet, uh, very hard to know the regulations that you can benefit from. So luckily, there was a power camp. Uh, when I say power camp, it's like a, a recruitment camp focusing on power by one of the largest renewable energy company. Uh, effectively, they will, it's like a three-day extensive training and seminars uh, and team building, introducing the different regulations in the Philippines. So, so um, you, you, you attended this one? The power yeah. Camp. Can I ask so, what interested you? I mean, not everybody wants to go, I want to attend the power camp. What, what, what made you want to attend the power camp? No, I'm a very, uh, <laughs> I'm a scholar from through and through, from high school uh, and all the way to my master's. So I didn't have to pay anything. So uh came from a lower class family. So Every opportunity for me counts in college. So, uh, I see, I so, see. but of course, I was interested in energy, but I wouldn't say I was passionate about it. So it's more like, oh, there's an opportunity where I can maybe get a job after. So that's really my motivation. A I see, I yeah. see. Employment. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Employment, employment is, a, is a key motivator to attend all the seminars out there. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, so, it. and it's the first of its kind in the Philippines. Uh, it, because there, there are no courses available in the country that will teach you the opportunities in the energy sector, deep dive. So that's uh, a key uh, motivator for me to join. And after that, uh, I was able to immerse myself in the different nuances in the energy sector, different pain points. And the succeeding two years, I serve as the mentor for the, uh, for the uh, other people who joined the power camp in the next few iterations. And then after graduation, actually, uh, I had a job offer from, uh, that company. So, uh, however, I decided to uh, pursue my master's in Japan in, uh, in congruent uh, with that is uh, starting company. So, wow, you, instead of taking the job, you did another master's mm-hmm. and you put up a company at the same time. That makes me curious because, mm-hmm. you know, for, for people like you, uh, scholars, mm-hmm. uh, the idea is that after you're done, you, you want to be able to, to start, you know, making, you know, earning money. But okay. you chose to continue. You, you chose to continue uh, your scholarship for higher studies. Plus, you put up your own company at the same time. That's pretty. That's pretty brave, and mm-hmm. that's pretty. You know, if you if you think about it, it's not an easy decision to make. Help me better understand why did you decide to go that route and also put up your own company, even when you were doing your masters? Because that's not that's not something. It's not mm-hmm. such a. I, I would say it was not so rational, but it's not something that you know. It's it's not an easy decision to make, right? Agree, RJ. Actually, uh, maybe just as on a side note, uh, before I was very academic, I, I, I wanted to be number one in uh, grades and also uh, to have this uh, conventional awards. But I was granted an opportunity to study in Hong Kong. It's my first time abroad. Uh, that's where I realized the value of actual, uh, you know, just opening your horizon, uh, actual networking, developing relationship, the soft skills. And actually looking at different, uh, uh, key skills that you can develop along the way. So when I went back for my, uh, study abroad program, I focused on organizations in Ateneo, uh, honing my leadership skills, project management, while at the same time being technically adept. So that kind of holistic balancing is what I realized is very important. So when there was an opportunity to study in Japan, 
uh, I realized that it's another layer of uh, growth that I can take advantage of, particularly because uh, Japan is very big on technology. So I will be immersed with the different uh, key sectors. That's one of the reasons why we have two Japanese investors as well. So having that Japanese uh, tie for myself. And then uh, to be, as a matter of fact, uh, I wouldn't put so much credit on myself because it was not uh, a hard decision. Why? Because the scholarship in Japan offers a really high paying salary for my allowances. So uh, at least I would save some while being able to uh, completely immerse myself in that kind of setting where I would learn uh, not just the Japanese culture, but being able to extend myself beyond the Philippines in terms of network, in terms of actually uh, getting to know uh, possible uh, colleagues, uh, basically team members in the future. Uh, and this uh, startup company, I had a, a friend, an angel investor that decided on trusting me. So uh, it's not an easy decision for people who have to balance risk appetite, uh, having to uh, give back to family and also creating your entrepreneurship journey. Because Mm -hmm. for me, after graduation, I wanted to start basically working so that I can earn money. And eventually I wanted to start a company from the nuances and the things that I will be learning from a corporate job. But it just, just so happens, fortunately, that I was granted an opportunity to explore both having that scholarship with a significant uh, allowance and also following my entrepreneurship journey. But yeah. So you, you were setting up the company while you were in Japan? Uh, I, we, we set up the company before I went to Japan. So I actually asked my co-founders that I can quit my uh, company if they want me to, or we can stick together and then I can help them build while uh, balancing my master's in Japan. It really just took a toll on me in terms of time management, not having... Uh, explore Japan to the fullest because I have to balance both. But I would say it's a worth it decision, yeah. Got it. So tell me, what was the first iteration of the company? Because like I said, you saw the pain point. When did you discover that pain point after the power camp? And and was was this was the company put up solving that pain point which you which you uncovered? Mm-hmm. So actually Solex is like our second company, I would say. Uh, we started the first company, Exora Technologies, where maybe some viewers might be familiar. Uh, that's what we started after, uh, uh, after graduating in college and while taking my master's in Japan. The pain point there really is, uh, uh, the lack of transparency in the energy market. Effectively, if you want to switch outside Miralco or outside your distribution utility, how do you know if, if this is the best option? So there's a lack of transparency. So we developed basically an auction platform. Effectively, like a marketplace, uh, allowing customers to see what are the options in the market and to provide and to provide an enhanced competitive process so that suppliers can bid uh, instantaneously uh, a number of times. So basically, that's it. That's the first company. And this company right now is uh, really quite different in terms of all the services that we offered. But the reason for closing that is uh, some founder issues uh, that we encountered along the way. Yeah. So again, uh- Sometimes your sometimes your first iteration is not the ultimate iteration for business, and that's one thing that we want to point out to people that sometimes your first idea is not your best idea, but it leads you towards the best idea. In other words, you've got to set it up, you've got to run it, you've got to see the people doing it, and then see how it has to go. So when you Exora was the first company you put up, then you were also in Japan at the same time. It was supposed to be uh, a place to have competitive auctions for power. Uh, What you see were the learnings from that one? What were the pain points that you saw that worked from the first version? Uh, I think uh, the the thing that we really saw is uh, conglomerate seeing that there are young uh, entrepreneurs that's willing to uh, not really go head on against them, but to really try to disrupt the industry. Because power is also an oligopoly, uh, as much as it's a monopoly before the the regulation. So uh, uh, there's also there's only a few suppliers available in the market, and for uh, young students to be able to to just create or say that we're gonna create a platform that will basically level the playing field for all suppliers is a big endeavor in itself, and it creates a signal in the market that uh, this can happen. And some suppliers are actually very uh, supportive towards it. So, of course, we have some mixed reactions and mixed signals. Uh, but what we learned or what we saw from that pain point is that uh, even 
a brave undertaking such as this is possible. You just have to really uh, try and uh, get all the help that you can get. And one of the key learnings that uh, we were able to really learn from this journey is uh, you really cannot do this alone. So it takes a level of uh, awareness and acceptance that you have to uh, partner with key people. You have to uh, accept that uh, basically ask for help. We we can't do this without you guys. So, yeah. Mm. Well, how did it go? Because how did it go? Because I'm thinking right now, larger power companies might not be. They go e- either you are their competition, and it's in, and that's most primarily how they might have thought. Mm-hmm. Instead of somebody they can collaborate with, mm-hmm. and it's hard uh, going head to head with them. How was that initially for you guys? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Technically, we don't go head to head against them, but can, enabling this kind of ecosystem will allow them to go head on head against each other, which some of them does not want, uh, which some of them do not want. So uh, that kind of, uh, may, maybe threat is not the right word, but that kind of uh, disruptive uh, mechanism uh, uh, basically is, you know, uh, very, uh, is a big undertaking. So, uh, sorry, what's the question, RJ, again? Yeah. yeah but that, how, did, how did you guys have to react? Because these are, these are bigger players than you and you're a smaller player. Um, and, and they might think that you're disrupting us too much. What were the, I guess what happened to you guys when that, when that was happening? Because um, I'm just imagining they have a lot of resources. They can say, okay, we'll stop yeah, you. Or yeah. what, did you what did you guys manage through that? Yeah. So of course, in the first few, I, uh, in the first few client uh, attempts, the client themselves are the blockers because uh, power is a major, uh, uh, major thing for them. It's effectively like sixty percent of their production costs. So if that's disrupted by these young students, uh, what will happen to our actual margins to the entire line of business? So that kind of skepticism, even though we know what we're talking about, is very difficult to actually just hurdle through. And in terms of the suppliers, uh, the biggest hurdle initially, of course, is they do not want to disclose their data to a platform such as ours because we're young and we don't have any clients yet. So what we did is we focused on uh, people that actually trust us, the suppliers that believe in the kind of vision that we provide in the in the ecosystem. And in the client side, how we're able to hurdle through is by asking for help. The first thing I did when I came from my master's in Japan after the whole uh, founder issues where I tried to uh, basically uh, try to uh, fix everything because we have zero clients and almost zero uh, uh, money that time is I went to uh, all the people that I can think of and then the first one was the Ateneo and I asked them, uh, can you, can you give us help? We're, we will actually close if we don't close any client at this point. So that kind of, uh, uh, just showing that vulnerability and also that kind of cur- courage, uh, in terms of approaching them help us. So we actually close our first client in that, uh, in Exora by, uh, Ateneo just basically vetting us, telling, uh, telling the client that they know us. Basically, they can uh, basically they can vet the tech and everything, and it's their name. Basically, we're banking from their name and reputation, and from that point forward, it's a matter of uh, maintaining relationships uh, and then uh, closing more supplier account. Got that. And I hope you don't mind because I had a chance to listen to your pitch, and you did say that you underwent some founders' problems, and th- these were these were not tech related. These were these were I would say human relations related. Can you share with us a bit more about that? Just as, as you know, how it can educate also people who who are looking for founders. What did you learn from your founders' experience that you maybe would like to share that hopefully uh, other other startups might be able to learn from? Yeah, uh, maybe just high level. What happened is uh, there was some uh, financial issues in the company, so there were some financials that were were not disclosed. Uh, not uh, appropriated properly uh, by one of the founders. And also there was some misrepresentations to, to clients and potential investors about our actual uh, our actual revenue, etc. So both uh, financials and misrepresentation, which are actually really big. So what we learned from here, uh, and may- maybe for the viewers, is uh, it's very important to create a system of check and balances that forces everyone to actually comply. Uh, it's okay to uh, to basically uh, start a company with your friends, but no matter how long your relationship is, money is money and finances are very uh, sensitive. And also uh, having that 
uh, alignment in terms of how you represent your co- uh, company is very important. So you have to have that uh, system that forces trust, basically. And then, um, so the other company, Exora, did it have to close down? Uh, we actually closed it. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, what happens is we fixed everything when I uh, came back. So we did we didn't want to uh, close it just because there were some founder issues just to start fresh. So what we did is to really uh, you know, come clean with the different uh, investors and different companies saying that this is what happened and we're really trying to reinvent the company uh, and making it a better, uh, you know, just making it better, uh, cleaning the reputation uh, so that Exora will have a very clean reputation moving forward. And then when we actually uh, uh, decided that it's already uh, clean, everything is managed and that's where we decided to start a new company so that it's a clean slate. And also just to, you know, uh, not, you know, not think about all those struggles from before. And, uh, also we expanded our services to cover a lot more plethora of, uh, value added uh, things. So we decided to create Solex also to, uh, accept more investments so that, uh, when an investor comes in, uh, there's no issues from the, uh, earlier founders, etc., that they will have to deal with. Because uh, if you want really this to grow big, everything has to be clean from uh, day zero all the way. But before even doing that, we decided to clean the reputation first of the initial company. Yeah, and I think it's very key. I think the reputational integrity was very key for you to be able to. And I, I think they, like you said, that they saw they saw they saw the sincerity from that one. Mm-hmm. Able to clean things up, help you just understand because we're, we're talking about it from a high level, but then. You know, it does take a toll on you uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Tell us a bit more about that one. And, and how did you, if you don't mind, how you got through that? Because it's something also that people can learn from. Oh, definitely. It's, we will not get through that without the support system. So the founders that I have with Solex Technologies are one of the main reasons why I'm able to get through it because we it's a shared struggle. Maybe a shared trauma after all, but uh, uh, that is key. And uh, besides that, uh, knowing uh, how to struggle, it's also just seeing where you're going. So having that clear vision or where, of where you're headed is very important because at least you know that even if it's slowly moving, it's moving. So having that uh, little milestones along with the support system is very important. And of course, uh, the third key criteria here, or at least the third factor that allows us to uh, move forward from the struggles is just being able to share this struggle with fellow founders. Because mm-hmm. a matter of fact, uh, even though ours is a very unique story, other founders have very uh, similar stories, maybe uh, different in nature, but the level of emotional, uh, uh, you know, emotional bandwidth that they have to really take on is very high. And, uh, being able to see them from this to this, uh, basically hurdling through it is, you know, uh, a testament that all, us also, we can also get through it. So, so support system, uh, having, uh, clear milestones and seeing basically, uh, mentors and people who have undergone this uh, similar experiences that have actually uh, been able to hurdle through that is very important. Yeah. And of course, praying is very important. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be down on your knees. Any entrepreneur is always down on your knees praying. Oh God, please help me out. I'm going to pay salaries tomorrow. Where's the money coming from? <laughs> oh yeah. That's very, very difficult. Yeah. yeah. And then I just want to know, cause you know, there, there came a point. Okay. Um, that you started climbing out again of the sort of hole that you were in and you were fixing things up. Um, and as you started moving up, I just want to know, what was that point finally when Sol X, where you felt that, oh my gosh, uh, Sol X is going to, you know, be something or it's going to make it or it's, it's, it's coming out of this hole or it's established something. What is that feeling for you, parang, even an emotional or a or a, a milestone in terms of an achievement that you had that, that you felt you said, okay, your, your motivation changed, you know, you thought, oh, we're going to make it. What was that point mm-hmm. for you? Solex? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, when we started uh, Solex, we received initial investments and we were able to close a lot of clients in a year. So maybe uh, totaling to around 200 megawatt or around 50 plus clients. So, and being able to be invested by uh, a Japanese company and Foxmoon Capital is very important for us. 
And after that, we won the pitch competition and the government invested in us. And we have deeper relationships with the regulators now, with the suppliers. So uh, that moment where we think that this is going to happen, actually, uh, even before starting Solex, we decided that we're going to start a new corporation and we're going to make it big. We're going to put all our efforts here. But when it actually happened, it's it's such a big relief because uh, we might not be the biggest startup company in the Philippines in terms of actual traction, uh, actual investment round. But we really think that uh, in terms of that struggle from negative to where we are, we're at par with the people that have started. And uh, we raised when the climate of funding was really bad, so especially uh, right now in 2022. 2022 to 2023, it was really bad. It was really hard to raise. One of the key criteria there is either a path to profitability, but actually it's really profitability. So that was a really hard climate for us because prior to that, you can look at volume, you can look at actual uh, criteria in tech and you can raise big. So being able to raise at this climate and being able to close clients allows us to, you know, number one, be prepared not to, you know, uh, burn our uh, funding outright. And also, we've learned from uh, past experiences how to conservatively manage finance and to build a company from that. So that's very important for us. We're taking in money when we have that experience of actually learning how to properly put resources. Because when we had almost none, we were able to actually get to a profitability standpoint. What about that we have something right now? So that kind of balance, at least this kind of timing when the investment came in, is actually a blessing for us because uh, because investment is not something to just you know uh, celebrate success in. It's actually an accountability and a liability. It's a it's just a responsibility for us. Got that. Uh, Matthew Kua over here in the comment section gives you a big heart over here. So just let you know, Matt Kua, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks so much for for listening in as well. Really appreciate it. Um, it's such, such a great story that you have here right now. Um, can you just help us better appreciate even saying the goal of, of, of what, what you guys are doing? Uh, right now, what's stated, at least in the articles I've read, you've helped companies save at least $400 million. What are you guys seeing over the next two to three years or even up to the five years for Solex? Yeah, uh, the main goal of Solex is really to trickle this kind of uh, impact to the residential level. So the government actually wants to trickle uh, this regulation all the way to the household level, similar to Singapore and Japan. But one of their blockers is, is is the market actually ready for that? So uh, digital infusion is a key factor. So we wanted to be one of the key primary movers in that market to show the regulators that the market is ready because of technologies such as ours or even other technologies that might come in. So uh, that's one of our goals. So our goal really three to five years from now is to be able to support everyone from the household level. Just uh, imagining where you do, you don't have to worry about uh, where to actually source your power and you, you can just basically tell you action points. And besides that, we're uh, slowly helping also, the company, or at least the country, I mean, uh, to, a, to a point where energy transition is really feasible. So one of the main issues why uh, en- uh, renewable energy investments in the country are not uh, flowing that much, at least before, pr- in the prior years, because of the volatility of the RE. So effectively, an RE, con- uh, RE production is very volatile. It's not 24-7. So imagine RE if you have renewable energy. Renewable energy. Correct, yeah. renewable energy. Uh, for example, solar, it depends on the production, it depends on the sunlight, wind, it depends on wind. So infusing that kind of volatility in the grid is very difficult, especially in terms of the offtake of the consumers actually getting that power. So having a platform such as ours, which can actually com- combine these different RE capacities for supply and demand, will allow more players to come in from an investment standpoint, from different, uh, uh, basically, international companies, in fact, on the side, we're uh, uh, in, uh, uh, basically uh, consulting some international players who wants to invest RE capacities in the Philippines. So the future of energy in the Philippines is really good it's from a supplier standpoint and from the demand standpoint. Got it. I, I can see now. I can see how yours, how now uh, Solex can actually bring in more power supplies from abroad because 
there's a right way now for them to insert correct, correct, yeah. correct, because now the B2B can use them properly because they know when to bring them in and they use the power when they need it mm-hmm. and they can tell right now you see you see is that correct Mike? yeah exactly yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's a very good uh, 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 summary yeah that's correct yeah fantastic now having said that um, you know uh, it's been a really great learning for everybody over here uh, and what you have is sort of like a large lens of seeing uh, opportunity in the power sector or even from the startup sector uh, in Solex. Are there entrepreneurs and tech startup people or people who are just interested in doing business over here? What 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 are the opportunities opportunities that you still see uh, like that that you wouldn't pursue? But you know, you see, oh, you know, RT by time I do this one or, or do that one. What are these opportunities that you're seeing that other entrepreneurs can pursue from the tech startup field or the power field? Uh, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't trust myself in other sectors, but definitely there are a lot of uh, uh, I, I think no no I really know that uh, the power industry the energy industry is something uh, that can be innovated. It, there's so much potential. EV the EV app is coming and the renewable portfolio standard for maintaining uh, renewable energy for different suppliers is coming. So uh, there's a lot of untapped potential in the energy market in the Philippines, especially because we're an archipelago. And uh, before the Luzon and Visayas grid are the only connected grid, meaning if you have excess supply from Luzon, you can only give it to the Visayas. Right now, the, the Mindanao will be connected. So effectively, you can transfer energy from the entire Philippine grid. So in terms of opportunities, at least in the power sector, there's a lot. But I would say it's a good time to enter the startup field or to be an entrepreneur. Why? Because prior to when I entered to now, there are a lot of accelerator companies that offers you that safety net from the risk uh, appetite that I was mentioning earlier. So that uh, accelerators are international accelerators from California, uh, the new energy nexus, supporting startups from uh, initial conception, ideation. The space is also a big uh, a supporter for uh, early stage companies, uh, Kubo and uh, BrainSparks also supporting different ideas. So there's a lot of funds also from the government, the uh, the Startup Venture Fund and also the Department of Science and Technology offering equity-free grants. So it's a good time to apply or to be an entrepreneur because there are a lot of support system that will allow you to hedge on that uh uh, risk appetite of being able to provide for your family vis-a-vis pursuing your own dream. And hopefully we get more uh, people like you who, who are highly motivated and want to help the country. Uh, I think that's one of the key things that, that we really need here right now. Um, how do we, how to be you, how do we inspire more, more people like you out there? I mean, talk, talk to the entrepreneurs here right now. What do you want to tell them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if you're on the fence of starting a company versus, uh, uh, going corporate first, uh, I, I would say uh, it's it's really a fine balance, but uh, I would say it's important to take the leap. Uh, at least if you're ready, if you have that emotional bandwidth, you just, just jump because uh, what you're going to learn in a corporate culture is something that you will apply in the startup after a few years. Because uh, when you go corporate, you're going to be uh, put in a very established setting, systems, processes. And a startup in the first two years is very agile. You have to learn a lot. You have to be a jack of all trades. You have to wear a lot of hats. So that's something that you won't learn anywhere. So uh, that corporate mentality of uh, being, before you can start a company, I have to you know have experience. I think in some cases, it might be too skewed because uh, starting a company is in itself a different thing. So uh, just jump, learn from the support system. And if the idea doesn't work, maybe go corporate. And then if you have a good idea after the fact, then you can apply both. Having that startup uh, uh, level of experience and having that corporate uh, experience, you can combine both at the same time. But before starting a company, the important thing is really uh, know who you're going to partner with, uh, your friends, and know your level of motivation how motivated are you going to be? And third is, uh, it's very important to have a very assess, an honest assessment of yourself. If risk is very difficult for you because of financial uh, uh, issues, uh, accept that. Don't just jump because you think that this is going to work out. So accept that by creating a system of hedging for yourself. Basically, 
Uh, if you're going to start a startup with financial issues, learn how to balance maybe a part-time work while slowly building your startup and getting an angel investment. So it's very important to not just jump, but have a very clear and honest understanding of where you're uh, currently situated at personally and from a family standpoint. Really, really great advice, Rich. Um, and I'm so happy to hear that. It's a very refreshing thing I'm getting from you here right now. And as we start to close out our discussion over here, are there any management hacks mm-hmm. or success hacks that you have that you would have wished that you told uh, the younger search when, they were, when he was setting up yeah. uh, XOR originally? Yeah. Uh, the first one is what I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's okay to uh, do business with friends, but uh, no matter who you do business with, create a system that forces accountability and forces trust. Uh, the shareholders agreement, it's very important to put that in the very beginning. Because it's very hard to exit the founder uh, once you vest a certain level of shares. So trust is important, but uh, having that people with you that knows that there needs to be a system is also equally important. And that's the first. Uh, and the second is uh, uh, what o- I also mentioned this briefly, but having that level of awareness of your weakness. Uh, basically, uh, it's very. This is uh, maybe a lot of people have mentioned it, but it's very important to hire your weakness. Uh, learn how to actually uh, know where you really excel at, excel in, and uh, where do you actually uh, struggle with in terms of uh, are you a front end person in terms of being able to close good managed relationships, or are you more of an operator? So you have to hire witness, but it's equally important not to just to hire witness, but learn from them. So that you can equally apply that to, uh, you know, your weakness to be holistic eventually. And maybe third is, uh, you know, uh, having a very clear vision of where you want uh, your company to be. Because I started this company uh, with just the vision that I want to try. I want to take a risk. And there are safety nets involved. But... uh, I realized slowly that it's very important to build a vision. The vision that we have right now is to uh, be a catalyst to enable people, to empower people. So we, we do it both internally and externally. So why do I say internally? So all the hires that we have, we focus on people that uh, from the provinces that have not been given the same level of opportunity as the people from uh, Manila, but are actually equally good or even better. But they're level of motivation is really high. So providing them that opportunity and that level of salary in Manila is very important for them because they will not be able to get that unless they migrate from uh, uh, the provinces to the Philippines. So that kind of empowerment mentality uh, internally and uh, allowing everyone in the company to, before meeting with them, what are your three-year goals? If you want to exit uh, from us, it's okay, but we want to know where you're at. So that's something that we develop eventually. Not uh, having that sem- uh, uh, having that mentality that uh, everyone can be indispensable, uh, dispensable actually. As bad as it sounds, everyone can be replaced. As bad as it sounds, it's the way that it should be because everyone has to grow, uh, whether it's in your company or outside your company. Uh, but that's very important to have that level of empowerment mentality internally and externally. How we want to build that uh, empowerment culture is really to provide affordable and accessible electricity eventually to all Filipinos. The main reason why I'm saying that is because we hired wrong before. We hired based on credentials and based on skills instead of actual grit and potential. So that's something that we have to balance. And yeah, I think at least you know, those are the things that I can think of. Really, really great lessons. I appreciate uh, these coming from you. And, and what I appreciate from this conversation is that there are certain things that you have to learn because like you said, no, if you had a corporate mentality, you wouldn't actually be thinking this way that eventually your problem might leave you mm-hmm. but, and, or that they're all dispensable. But I like how you said that at the very start, you already recognize that, and especially for a startup type of operation, that that's how it might work correct, out. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but more importantly for me, I, I like the idea that, you know, there's a, Aside from what you're doing, there's a meaningfulness and relevance to what you're doing for Solex Technologies. It's not just for the for the businesses, but eventually, how does that uh, redound to the regular everyday Filipino mm-hmm. consumer? And that I think that, that's really what gives you your north star in doing Solex Technologies. Exactly. North star, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, with that, 
thank you so much for this opportunity to interview you. I wish you good luck in the upcoming uh, World Cup finals. Uh, where, where's, where's it going to be? Is it this year or next year? Uh, it's either this year or next year because supposedly it's next year because uh, the last year's winner is supposed to compete for this year. Uh, but they're inviting us as well for this year. So I don't know. We'll see how it pans out. So it's either this year or the next year. But yeah, thank you very much. Hopefully we can represent the country really well. Yeah. Good luck. We are going to be rooting for you and praying for you again. Thank you so much, Sergius uh, from Sol X Technologies. Good luck to you. Thanks so much for guesting here on the RG Ladesk podcast, guys. We will see you and we will, you will hear from us again in the next podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great night. The opinions of podcast creators, hosts, and guests are not necessarily reflective of the official stance of the Pod Network Entertainment, its hosts, or other network programs. The content created by the people behind the podcast is personal and not meant to harm any religion, ethnicity, group, organization, company, or individual. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.